Good morning, church. It's good to see you today. Before we move into God's Word on this fourth Sunday of the season of Lent, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to me over these six months, allowing me into your home with these times of worship together. It's been my privilege to spend these months with your wonderful church staff and church board, this wonderful worship team here, and so many who have added to our worship experience. I believe in these months I've found a lot of who we are as a church. Not only excellence in worship, but a heart for missions, a, a unity and faithfulness in prayer and fasting, a passion to serve. And I thank the Lord for that attitude that I see in you. And I just sense wonderful days ahead as uh, under the leadership of Pastor Gordon and Rochelle, we move into great new days as God gives us his direction. When we began six months ago, I promised you that we would be following the words of Jesus during these months. We started in the upper room with those farewell discourses as Jesus prayed for himself, prayed for his disciples, prayed for his church. We walked through those upper room teachings, began with prayer, and now we end with prayer. We recognize in this fourth Sunday and our fourth trip back into the Lord's Prayer that God has so much to say to us. And I want us to see that this morning as we come to the conclusion of this prayer, that we might pattern our lives and our prayer lives after what Jesus said. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a great principle at work here in this prayer. When we come to this section about lead us not into temptation, we have the promise in God's word that we will never face temptation beyond our ability to bear it. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has seized you except that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And here's the key. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God has promised that he will always be our strength in the midst of temptations and trials. Let me read a few verses from Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about God disciplining us as children. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And that's what we're looking at during this season of Lent. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you too will not grow weary and lose heart. Later in that chapter, he talks about how we endure hardship as discipline and how God lifts us up as we walk with him. Over in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, 
we have the promise, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. And so all through these scriptures about how we face temptation, we have this focus of Jesus. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He prays it in the upper room right before his death. He prays it here as he gives us this model prayer. How do we then balance that when James says, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds? Because the trial, the testing of your faith, develops perseverance, patience. We recognize that God is working within us to build us up. And it all falls under the category of God not letting us be tempted beyond our strength. We recognize that we cry for help in the midst of inevitable temptations in life. And that's what we're called to do in this prayer that Jesus gives to us. So in praying, lead us not into temptation, we're saying keep us from those temptations that we are not prepared to face. And at the same time, we're praying, prepare us then for the daily tests of life. And he does that. He strengthens us by his Holy Spirit, whom he has placed within us. So I pray, in the words of Jesus, don't lead me into temptation that is beyond my strength, but when that temptation comes, deliver me from evil. It's a cry out from the heart in the midst of struggle. Now, the reason we can overcome that temptation is because Christ was tempted just as we are, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, yet without sin. And so our guide to temptation is Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was in the midst of temptation. That great scene of Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, just before these chapters we've been looking at for these six months from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, I will be with you. And when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, there's this wonderful time that he spends with the Father. The time of his temptation is immediately following his baptism. This momentous time when the heavens open, the voice of God says, this is my beloved son. The spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. We recognize this is an amazing time, the announcement of Jesus' ministry. And he is compelled to go immediately then into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and prays and communes with the Father, preparing himself for his public ministry. So often... Our temptation will come in that same kind of situation. After a momentous time in our lives, after a high point in our spiritual walk, Satan will come and tempt us. Was that decision really real? Was that just some emotional high you were on? Or was that based upon true fact? We recognize that we must base our faith upon Jesus Christ and all that he does. Satan also comes to us when we are weak. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days, he found himself physically drained. And Satan attacks at that time. Well, what is the type of temptation that Jesus faced? Well, his temptation was to his special powers. Satan has never tempted any of us to turn stones into bread. But he will tempt us at our points of strength and at our points of weakness. So often he will attack us at our points of self-sufficiency where we feel the strongest and overconfident. If we've walked with the Lord for a while, we know where Satan's going to attack. And every now and then he'll surprise us and attack us from another direction. But we are ready when he comes. The third thing I want us to see about Jesus' temptation was the place of that temptation. 
It was in the wilderness. Jesus was in the place of isolation. We are always in danger. We're in a place of isolation. Especially important during this pandemic year when so many of us have been isolated from those usual groupings that we are in. And it's so dangerous to be alone when we face temptation. C.S. Lewis mentioned in his book, A Grief Observed, after his wife Joy had died, said that the most dangerous thing I found was thinking I had to suffer alone. We recognize that we can reach out to each other. We need not suffer alone. We reach out to God, but we also reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and recognize that we have each other in the midst of this. For isolation is a great danger for us when it comes to temptation. Well, Jesus answers temptation, not with his willpower, but with God's word. The same must be true of us. We see as Satan encounters Jesus in these three temptations. First, a physical temptation, then an intellectual temptation, and then a spiritual temptation. And in these categories, the writer to Hebrews says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, the first temptation is the physical one. That comes also first in the petitions we've seen in the prayer. We pray for our daily bread before we talk about forgiveness, before we talk about help in the midst of temptation. And he comes to Jesus with that physical temptation. The evil is not in the bread. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus is hungry. Bread is a necessity. And it's one of the great understatements in all of Scripture. I don't know what the longest fast you have participated in, But after 40 days, one of the great understatements in all of Scripture, Jesus was hungry. And Satan comes and says, it's legitimate that you are hungry. You have the power. Turn these stones into bread. It is not the bread or the physical hunger that was the evil. It was putting the physical before the spiritual. And Jesus refused to do it. For the evil is not in the physical desires, but in wrong fulfilling of those desires, whether that's hunger and thirst, whether that's sexual temptation, whatever it is in the physical, is that we don't put the physical before our spiritual relationship with God. Jesus said to Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the second temptation, the intellectual temptation, Satan again comes misquoting the word. The word says, cast yourself down and the angels will protect you. And Jesus responds, don't tempt the Lord your God. God does not display power for power's sake. Satan doesn't fear a God of power. He fears a God of love. And if Jesus gives in to this display, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The crowds will see it. They will follow you. And then when they stray away, well, you better have a bigger miracle. You better have something else to pull them back. All of God's history with his people throughout the Old Covenant Miracle after miracle, and people fall away, and people fall away. What's the bigger miracle? The greatest miracle is the love of God, and we respond to that love. If Jesus gives in here, God becomes Satan's puppet. But we will trust God's love. The third temptation, then, is this spiritual temptation. He shows him the kingdoms of the earth. Now he says, now, didn't your father give me these kingdoms? Now I will give them to you. And then he sticks in the fall prince. The small prince says, if you bow down and worship me. And Satan will always dangle the things of this world in front of us. And look how they 
are so appealing before he says, but to get those, you have to worship me. We need to recognize what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul. To recognize that we must first put his kingdom before all other things. So Jesus really has met temptation in all the areas where we meet temptation. Physically, intellectually, spiritually, yet without sin. He is the victor over sin, and so he is our brother. And so he is able to die for us on the cross as we move through this time of Lent and view his marvelous cross and what he has done for us. He is able to defeat sin because he is the lamb who was slain for us. The one who was without sin became sin for you and for me that we might find forgiveness. Our answer is always from God's word. And so the psalmist says in 119, in verse 11, Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against God. We plant his words, his precepts, his concepts inside of our hearts and minds so that we might not sin. In James it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In your sermon notes today, I've given all kinds of scriptures for you to follow up on these. There's so much in the word about the strength that we have in the midst of temptation. And temptation will come from sometimes expected sources and sometimes unexpected sources. It was true with Jesus. He expected in the wilderness when Satan appears to him, you expect to be tempted of Satan and Satan's demons. But later in Jesus' ministry, it comes from a much more familiar and friendly place. Peter, one of his key disciples, Disputes with Jesus. After he has announced, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, now I must die. And Peter says, no, Lord, you must not surely die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter has taken on the role of Satan by throwing this temptation in front of Jesus. But as Lenten week goes on, as we recognize, as we move into Holy Week, we see then the temptation comes from within Jesus' own heart. As he prays in the garden. His Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he turns away from that temptation and says, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so we see in our lives that temptation can come directly from the demons of Satan. It can come from family and friends telling us to go the wrong way. Or it can come from within our own hearts. And always we must call upon God's word to lift us in the midst of that time of temptation. I pray that God will test me within my ability and I will learn from the tests that come. But then I cry out, deliver me from evil, or in the text of the prayer here in Matthew, deliver me from the evil one, this personal Satan who comes to us, not just a general force of evil that's out there in the world, but the wickedness of the one who wants to turn us away from the living God, our Savior. We must not listen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We rest on that promise. Now, Satan can turn anything into temptation. It doesn't have to be wicked things. For those of us who are believers, it might be our work for the Lord. It might be pride in our spiritual gifts. It could be all kinds of things that become tempting to us. But the object always is to separate us from our relationship with God. And that's why in the prayer, Jesus starts and ends with this relationship with the Father. That is what is crucial. 
that we might be one with him. And so the prayer teaches us to beware and to be aware of the danger that this temptation brings. Satan asked God to tempt Job. And that temptation drove Job right into the arms of God. The ideal in temptation is that it will drive us to God. James puts it this way in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Further down, in verses 13 through 15, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's the way Satan wants to drag us in. That he might control our lives and take us away from the presence of God. We begin to recognize that God has something so much better for us. And when temptation comes, we are called upon to cry out to him, deliver us from evil. We look at David in the midst of his great sin with Bathsheba, and there's no record of him ever crying out for deliverance in the midst of this great temptation. He is focused on wanting things his way. It leads to adultery. It leads to murder. Later in his writings... He speaks of the pitfalls and snares of life. The key for us is to realize that when we most need God, perhaps we are most unlikely to call upon God. We have to decide ahead of time that we are his. And that's what this sanctifying power and his grace within us is all about. That we have already settled the question, I'm going to live for God. So when a temptation comes up, It's a chance to glorify God by resisting that temptation. And to look at temptation in that way, when it comes along to say, this is one more chance for me to prove how great God's love is and how strong he is to support me in the midst of this time of temptation. We learn it as young children in Sunday school. I am weak, but he is strong. And we recognize that strength. And Paul says, all the more gladly, I'll boast of my weaknesses that the power of God may rest upon me. He is able to strengthen us. So in temptation, we turn to God's word. That's what Jesus did. Now, if anyone could have relied on his own strength, it was Jesus. He did not. We certainly must not. We follow his leadership. We are both kept from temptation and delivered within temptation. And in Romans, it says that In our suffering, we develop perseverance. Perseverance builds our character, and character gives us hope. Our hope is found in the midst of that struggle. And so the lines of defense are there for us. He is always there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. There is no time we are caught in the midst of temptation when there is not a way out. That's the key of that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 passage. He will always provide a way of escape that we may stand up Underneath the temptation. He also gives us spiritual common sense to avoid evil. Paul tells young Timothy, avoid youthful lust. Everything leads us to believe that God will be with us. He has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, of self-discipline. Trust in that power. 
In 1 John it says, the one born of God keeps us safe and evil, the evil one cannot touch us. And these great two verses at the end of that short one chapter book of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. To recognize God's presence. And so we see that God is with us. And so all the way we have walked through this prayer, we've come to an understanding that God is with us. We have prayed that we would understand his relationship as Father. We have talked about his holiness. We've talked about his kingdom. We've asked that he would give us our physical needs. We've asked that he would keep us in forgiveness and keep us from temptation. How can we pray all of these things? How can we glorify God? How can we trust in him for our needs? And the way we close our prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is that which upholds the entire prayer, the joy that we find in Christ. Now that original ending was not on the prayer that Jesus gives us here. But early on, the church wanted to add this benediction to the prayer, as was such a custom for them as they finished in their prayer lives. This particular benediction finds its roots in David's prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where he prays to God. Praise be to you, O Lord, God, our Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And so they took that prayer of David and fashioned it here at the end of Jesus' prayer. And so we pray, traditionally, not word for word what we've studied here in Matthew's Gospel, but we pray, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because he is a God of power, we can bring our petitions to him. We recognize that it's his kingdom, and his kingdom is in force. You are the God of that kingdom. You have the power to meet my need and to answer my prayer. And we can pray because the kingdom belongs to God. It's his kingdom. It's not of this world. And so we see the kingdom only as it comes alive within us. We pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We talked earlier about that's a commitment, saying I'm willing to get involved in your kingdom coming as it comes in me and into the world in which we live. So first we learn to speak with our Father, and that takes a lifetime, a lifetime of prayer to be able to call him Daddy, to be able to come into his presence and say, Abba, Father, thank you for your holiness, your goodness, your love, and then come into our prayer. We will never learn how powerful he is until we constantly rely upon that power. When we come to the end of the prayer, with the realization that God has met our needs over and over and over again, we can't help but burst into praise. You see, with people, we praise people for what they have accomplished. We praise God in order to see what he will accomplish. He lives within the praise of his people. We give him that praise, and then he lives within us. His kingdom comes 
within us. So one of the best times to praise is when we least feel like praising. I was teaching in my Sunday school class a few weeks ago of Paul and Silas there in that Philippian jail. After they've been humiliated and beaten and whipped, what are they doing at midnight in their jail cell while they're stuck in the stocks? Singing hymns of praise to God. When we don't feel like praise, it's crucial that we praise. That's why we gather in our spiritual disciplines and worship together. That's why it's so crucial that we follow God's incentives to us. Pray without ceasing. Praise me in all situations. We recognize God calls us to this life. And so the prayer begins and ends with praise. All of our needs, all of our requests, all of our desires are fenced in and enclosed with praise. No longer do we pray under the pressure of the moment, but in the light of eternity. Recognizing that his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. So we, we pray in praise and then we say in the language of trust, Amen. So be it. We trust that God will do what he has said he would do. And remember whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer. That what we pray are the words Jesus gave us. This is God's idea that we would pray in this manner. We can relax in faith knowing that an all-wise God has heard us. That an all-powerful Father is able to meet our needs. An all-loving Father will meet us right where we are. From the viewpoint of eternity, He is our Father and we bring our praise. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Our lives are yours. In these four weeks when we've walked through this prayer and as we're walking toward the cross during Lent, we become more and more aware of your plan for us, of what it means that we are your children, that you invite us into your presence. How presumptuous it would be for us to bring this prayer if it was our own words. But you invite us here. We can love because you have first loved us. We can respond because you have spoken in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray this prayer. We recognize your grace. We see the peace that is available to us. And then we rest by saying yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's been a pleasure to be with you during these months. I pray that God will watch over you and keep you in his grace. Let me just repeat that benediction from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. May God grant you his grace and his peace. And I'll be praying for you in these coming days as Pastor Gordon takes over leadership, as we recognize God's plan for our church. May God go with you in everything that you do for his kingdom. God bless you. Have a great day. 